Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, good friend of the program, Cole Zwicker is back. We're going to talk about Dell Demps uh, finally being let go in New Orleans. We're going to talk about uh, All-Star Weekend here, a little bit of some exciting stuff going on in Charlotte. I'm not down in Charlotte. Uh, I decided to stay back in Los Angeles just because, well, yeah, I don't really need to be there. Um then we're going to move on. We're going to talk about some draft stuff, whether or not we think Zion Williamson is the best asset in the NBA right now, which I think is like a very real question. And then finally, uh, Cole wrote about DeAndre Hunter, who's long been one of my favorite prospects. And uh, obviously Cole's a fan as well and has been for a while. So we're going to talk about all of that going forward. Cole, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Running on fumes at the end of the week. I would not advise writing a 40-minute piece on any prospects unless you're insane. So I kind of learned the hard way this week. But uh, it's going well, man. How are you doing? So I haven't read your DeAndre Hunter thing yet. Like, how many words did it end up being? I think it was about 7,000. It was yeah. around that range. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's always a good time uh, to break <laughs> down someone that in-depth. really is. I enjoy doing it. Uh Someone who might not have been breaking down players that in depth was Dell Demps. Uh, Dell Demps Got was him. <laughs> finally let go by the New Orleans Pelicans, the New Orleans basketball organization, realistically, that he had been working for since 2010. He was hired, I believe, on July 21st, 2010, is what basketball reference has, at least. Um, your immediate reaction to Dell Demps being fired. We'll just start. I mean, I'm not surprised. Uh, that's my uh, reading the news. It was kind of like pseudo expected, especially with the transition going from the Anthony Davis era to moving him in the offseason. I don't know if they trusted Dell Dems to make that trade. So Probably when it happened, have. yeah, it kind of made a lot of sense to me. And I hate saying that about someone who's fired, but I think the writing was on the wall here. Yeah. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I was unsurprised. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski threw some color on the situation, said that ownership was livid, that Anthony Davis left the arena early during Thursday night's game. Um, there's been some further discussion that he did it to go get an MRI after getting hurt during that game. He hurt his shoulder. Um, apparently, they don't really have like an MRI machine um, in the arena, which seems normal. Um, you know. Gail Benson wants to totally overhaul this whole deal. Uh, one factor that Cole and I have been talking about throughout this whole process is that, you know, the specter of Mickey Loomis kind of is over this entire deal, right? Uh, how involved is the New yeah. Orleans Saints lead executive on the <laughs> uh, basketball operations of the New Orleans Pelicans? It seems like Gail Benson wants to hire basketball people there now. Uh, so far, there's been some speculation about names david griffin mike zarin has been brought up um danny ferry will at least get a shake it seems like he's the interim gm uh obviously was the general manager of the atlanta hawks uh kind of put together that uh team that went on the uh that had 60 win seasons and then ended up kind of losing that job after what was it? It was racially charged emails were released. Correct. I believe that was the case. Yes. So kind of a, you know, convoluted situation there as well in terms of his candidacy. 
ultimately, I think that the Dell Demps era is just going to be recognized as one uh, one that was filled with missed opportunities. There, there's just not another way to put it. You have a top 25 player of all time, in my opinion, by the time Anthony Davis ends up retiring in your organization and you end up winning, I think, one playoff series. Is that right? The one that they won last year? I believe that's correct. Yeah, that's the first time they got into the second round. So, yeah, it's I agree with you. I think it's kind of a convoluted situation. And you look at kind of the takeaways from this regime. And I think they kind of tried to short circuit too much. We've talked about that in the past, trading too many first round picks in advance. They, of course, made the Drew Holiday trade. I love Drew Holiday. I think he's a fantastic player, but he's probably not the second best player on a title team. He's probably more like the fourth, ideally, and a very, very good one. I would but say third. Th- I think Drew can be maybe, a third guy on a title team. Maybe third. Yeah, I, I'll give you that for sure. But I don't think he's a second guy. And they traded picks for him. They traded Noel. And they kind of just went all in and they kept trying to go all in on the short term trying to get pieces next to Davis instead of building long term. And I think a lot of people have made a connection with this in the Dallas situation trading for Chris Stapps. There might be some validity validity to that even though I think Chris Stapps is probably a little higher on the totem pole as far as creation than Holiday is in his element. But I, I think it is an interesting case to, just to see maybe like take a step back and build long term instead of just trying to every year win now on the margins maybe improve a little bit short term but then you lose that long term sense of just building around Davis and actually building a real contender so if I remember correctly they ended up trading so he takes over the job he gets Chris Paul for one year right um a move that is emblematic of that is they trade their 2011 first round pick for uh, Jared Bayless, I believe, uh, in 2010. Okay. Uh, then they end up, you know, struggling along as they did during the Chris Paul era. And they have to trade Chris Paul. Uh, David Stern uh, is, you know, Cole and I have joked in the past on this, uh, decided that Dell Demps was so bad at his job that he had to step in and stop a deal from happening uh, that would have sent Chris Paul to the Lakers. Uh, he ends up doing a deal with the Clippers, uh, Al Farouk Aminu, Eric Gordon, Chris Kamen, and Austin Rivers, essentially. It was a 2012 first-round pick. Um, very bizarre deal in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, you know, it, it's one that is difficult to evaluate now because Eric Gordon obviously had the injury issues at the time. Eric Gordon was considered a very strong prospect. He was coming off of a 22 point per game season in his third season. And, you know, things really seemed to be looking up if he could stay off of the injury list. And he ended up continuing to get hurt and ended up not really reaching his potential in New Orleans. And then, you know, Al Aminu is always been kind of a role player. And, uh, you know, Austin Rivers ended up just being a poor pick at the end of the day. So, I understand that there was a lot of difficult waters to navigate, but I don't think that, you know, Dell Demps ever really did anything that was particularly high level, right? Like you look at even like in 2012, they trade Trevor Ariza and Emeka Okafor uh, for Richard Lewis and just like that deal basically, which I believe at the time had one year left and they just wanted to kind of, uh, I don't remember if that deal was to get off of money or if it was because they, or no, the deal was definitely to get off of money because they ended up cutting Richard Lewis, if I remember correctly, 10 days later. And, you know, like Trevor Ariza is a guy that 
think about their wing problems that they've had over the years. Like Trevor Ariza would have significantly helped the New Orleans Hornets during this Anthony Davis era. And they trade Trevor Ariza eight days before they draft Anthony Davis. And then you look at the Solomon Hill signing, you look at the, um, you know, Etwan Moore signing to an extent, although I think you can make a case that, you know, Etwan Moore for $8 million a year was not necessarily a like abject disaster. Um, it's it's just one of total missed opportunities. There's no other way to put it. Uh, th- this era is going to be looked upon as a failure for the New Orleans Pelicans organization, despite the fact that they had a guy in Anthony Davis that is going to make the All NBA team like you know ten times during his career. Yeah, I mean, I can't really summarize it any better than that. It, it's going to looked it's going to be looked down on for the moves they made and for not making total sense. And again, in a long-term sustainable approach. And by the way, like all of those deals that I just said, they happened like within the first five years of Del Demis' (laughs) tenure. He's been there nine. (laughs) Yeah, he's been there a while. And uh, the Boogie Cousins trade, I liked at the time. I was, I mean, I didn't see Buddy Heald blowing up like this as far as being the second best shooter in the league. So at that time, I think that in the moment, that was a very fair trade to make. I'm honestly not going to kill them for that deal. Um, they paid yeah. a reasonable price for DeMarcus Cousins, and DeMarcus Cousins got hurt. You know, exactly right. I, I do kind of kill them a little bit for the negotiations there and kind of playing a hardball Cousins. I get it because of the injury, but I think that kind of that stuff kind of looks bad to agents. It looks bad to future prospects when you hardline someone like that. But I, I do understand it from a pure injury standpoint. You don't want to give Boogie Cousins like a four-year max when you don't know about the Achilles and whatnot. But I think that's kind of summarized the regime a little bit. I, I don't know how likable they were necessarily, and this is not coming from like a ton of inside information. But overall, I just can't really paint this at all in a positive picture. I mean, he's going to be remembered a lot for the Drew Holiday trade. And frankly, that might be one of the better trades if you've gone down the list yeah. like you just did. Like that might be one of the better trades made. But I, you just got to think it's unquestionably on the, yeah. the best deal that this front office made Um, two first round picks for a guy that in my opinion is probably one of the 30 best players in the league. Like I'm pretty okay with that, especially given that one of them was uh, in the 2013 draft, which was, uh, you know, as you and I have talked about, it's, you know, we found players later in that draft, like Giannis and Rudy Gobert and um, you know, a few others that CJ McCollum, Steven Adams that ended up being successful outside of the top 10. But uh, you know what, that that was a tough draft to evaluate in, in for a lot of different reasons, mostly because uh, it was a lot of high upside guys that you can't be super certain was were going to make the leap. And then some, you know, high floor, low upside guys that, uh, you know, just weren't necessarily going to make like a wild impact. And I didn't mind the first round pick for Miritich, even though that kind of summarizes the short term gains. I thought he really helped them last year in the playoffs, though. And I think that he's worth a first round pick and him getting dealt this year for four second rounders and Stanley Johnson or whatever. I think that people are kind of overvaluing picks a little bit too much now as far as return. Miritich is definitely worth a first round pick, in my opinion, if you can actually optimize them like the Bucks are going to. So I didn't mind that trade either. But earlier on in the regime, I thought that they could have done a better job. Um, building around Davis long term and not trying to trade so many assets to put players that are very good. Like Drew Holiday is obviously an excellent player, but he, uh, he's not a number two on a title team. Yeah. And I think th- their their focus should have been getting that second guy, that third guy. Um, maybe Holiday is the third guy, but yeah, I, I think that that should have been the focus, and that's the takeaway from for me at least with this regime is you have to look long term, sustainable, and and build around Davis and build a product that can actually win. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's all 
very reasonable. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I'd imagine Dell Demps will continue to work in front offices just because that's, you know, the way the NBA works, as Cole said at the start. Uh, he has a Spurs background. You know, he's considered uh, someone that has a pretty good eye. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe he just wasn't right for the lead job. You know, some guys aren't right for the lead job at the end of the day, and that's totally fine. And, uh, you know, hopefully he will find success elsewhere. But unfortunately, who, who you- uh, go ahead. I was going to say, who do you think gets this job now? I think that's kind of interesting to talk about. We, we've heard David Griffin. What about Sam Hinkie? I mean, that's a really fascinating name for a team that might go into a total rebuild mode. I, you, you talked about the ownership. I'm not sure how that dynamic's going to play out. But well, Trey yeah, Davis, it's, it's interesting because, like, I don't think they can go into a full rebuild mode. Do you? I don't know. Like, what else are they going to do, really? I mean, unless you just want to toggle in the middle permanently. And, like, if you make a trade, let's say they trade with the Clippers or something, just hypothetically, and get Danilo Gallinari. Very solid player, but not good enough to win you anything. Do you want to be a middling team? That's, like, the worst place to be. God, that'd be funny if they traded for Danilo. (laughs) What? You do, like, I don't even know what you could do for Danilo right now. Because they've passed the deadline. Like, if I would, that's actually like not a disaster move, in my opinion. It would have made them better, I guess, right now. And that's not what they want. They want to have their pick be as bad as possible. But, you know, uh, he is someone that would have helped them at the end of the day right now. Um, yeah. If I'm them, I don't think that they want to bottom out totally. Uh, I, I just don't think that that is their goal uh, at all. I think that they want to try and uh, stay good or at least like stay somewhat relevant, I think is the way to put it, because that market is very difficult. That is a hard market to continue to attract people to. So if that continues to be the case, I don't think that you can do like a prolonged, uh, you know, hinky in, you know, processy rebuild. It's just not something that I think goes well there i think that's definitely fair i mean the basketball market seems to be a lot different than the football market i mean the saints fans are just absolutely ridiculous like that's one of the best football markets in the country in my opinion it's kind of like the portland market for basketball for football yep yeah that's a good comparison so i I don't really know too much about the dynamics as far as pelican fans attendance i'm not gonna you know put them in a certain stigma or whatnot but just from a practical standpoint looking at that roster and looking at what you want to do moving forward I don't know what deal they really make. I, I brought up Gallinari in a hypothetical trade. If they trade Davis to the Clippers and you get back Shea and all that. And I, I don't know how that dynamic is going to play out. If the Celtics offer Tatum. We've talked about all this. But like, what trade are you really making that makes you relevant? That's what I'm saying. Like, You'd be relevant but more in a long-term sense. If you get Tatum, it's not like Tatum alone is going to get you like into the playoffs, right? Like You're just trying to get the best long-term asset. Right, right. So I think that their idea on Tatum would be that he can help us somewhat soon and you pair him with drew you pair you probably have to get back marcus smart in that deal just to make the salaries match so you end up with like drew and marcus plus jason tatum plus you know a couple of other younger players you can have a pretty good defense pretty quickly uh with those guys and with some of the other pieces that they can maybe find a way to build around and that's how you stay competitive Yeah, I think that might be the mindset. I mean, for me personally, I would probably trade Drew just because I think his value is really high. I I agree with you for what it's worth on that. Yeah, so I don't know what the point. Like, 
of course, Drew and Marcus Smart would be absolutely fucking awesome to watch. Like defensively, that would be one of the best backcourts we've seen in a long, long time defensively. But if, if I'm the Pelicans, like it doesn't make sense to keep Drew in a vacuum and pair him with Tatum and Smart. Like that's still not good enough. But I, I do agree with you. I think that that might be their mindset. They want to stay relevant. They want to stay solid enough. It's not like they're putting a terrible, terrible product on the floor. But I think they should flip Drew because he's already 28. Like he's he's older than you'd think he is. And he does have a lot of value right now. He can help so many teams. And there's such a demand for a player that has his um, combination of skills. Yeah, like if I'm them, I am 100% like calling uh, maybe like Utah or something and trying to get like multiple young assets and multiple picks and trying to make that work. Um, Yes. Because like they could really use Drew. That would be an awesome backcourt. Drew and Donovan Mitchell. Um, There's just a lot of ways. I agree with you. If I was them, I would trade Drew, but I don't know if that's what the mindset is that they want to do. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And teams have different mindsets than the public and the media. Like we always think that the league operates or idealistically operates in this. You're either trying to compete or you're trying to tank. And there's a lot of teams that don't function that way. They're more just like we're trying to like have a decent product on the floor to, to sell tickets. And that could be the realization here. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about here? Not really for me. I would just, again, I think that a, a guy like David Griffin would be awesome. I'm, I'm a huge Griffin fan. I, I've loved what he's done for the media yeah. as far as his coverage. So if he got the job, I think that would be a step in the right direction. Yeah. I think David Griffin's super smart. Um, he, anytime that, you know, you know, I've talked to him maybe like once or twice and uh, you know, maybe even like I think I've met him like once and then like kind of talked to him like, you know, through DMS or whatever, a couple times, you know, he, he's a really good dude. He has a great reputation around people uh, like across the NBA. Just thinks he's a great dude. Um, there's a, there's a lot to like about what he did with the Cavs in terms of just asset management as well. I think that he handled their cap sheet really, really well and in a very creative yes. way. Uh, just a, that would be a very smart hire if he was willing to take it. If I was David Griffin, I might be looking for a more stable situation though, because the other part of this entire deal is like ownership in new Orleans and the market is somewhat unstable. Yeah. That's the key is the ownership. And that's the most important ingredient to all, to every franchise is how they're managed, how the ownership is. I, I think the opportunity honestly for Griffin would be a good one just to, to kind of rebuild the team if he was allowed the versatility and the flexibility to do that but it, it's hard to say you know have a stark opinion on this without knowing the ownership and and that because it, it's all about what you're governed by in this state so if ownership is not going to let you do and carry out a full rebuild if it's going to be like trading for an in theory, a Gallinari type, maybe Griffin would be better off passing on it. But I do think the opportunity is really interesting. Yeah. uh, Regardless of who they end up with, it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty big gamble for that GM to end up taking his job there and uh, really trying to build around what is a tough market. But uh, another place that you can gamble is bet online. Uh, It's another huge weekend across the (laughs) NBA all-star weekend. There is only one place to get in on all of the action. It's betonline.ag, sports casinos, uh, a virtual casino, you name it. Betonline.ag is CLNS Media's preferred sportsbook online. Use that promo code CLNS50 for that 50% sign-up bonus. CLNS50 is that promo code. Uh, Look, we talked about the betting odds on the slam dunk contest last time. 
Uh, you know, let's kind of jump in and talk about maybe the three-point contest this time. Uh, I'm very interested in the three-point contest. Uh, you look at who's there. We've got Seth Curry. We've got Stephen Curry. Dirk is in it. Buddy Heald, Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, Kemba Walker, Danny Green, Devin Booker, and Joe Harris. I mean, this is this is a 10-person three-point shootout this time. Uh, that, that never happens. Yeah, it's a really interesting field here. Seth Curry is my guy for this. I don't know why. I just kind of I'm feeling Seth here. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go with him. So Seth Curry, so here are the odds. We've got plus 275 for Stephen Curry, plus 325 for Heald, plus 450 for Devin Booker, 550 for Seth Curry, 600 for Joe Harris, 750 for Lillard, 800 for Green, 1000 for Chris Middleton, 1000 for Kemba Walker, and 1500 for Dirk. Uh I think that my pick is going to be Joe Harris. I have a funny feeling that Joe Harris is going to just like destroy this competition. Honestly, like what are we doing though? Betting against Steph. It's ridiculous. I feel. Yeah. Steph's too in vogue though. You can't pick Steph. I mean, everybody's going to do that. Even though like, of course, (laughs) if my life was on the line, if I was looking at it from that standpoint, I would pick Steph. But I think that from a narrative standpoint and how good of a shooter Steph Curry is, I think that'd be kind of fun if he beat his brother in this. Yeah. Um, Bet online. uh, It really is just the best. You can go online or use your mobile phone to sign up today. uh, Betonline.ag. You can try in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. Use the promo code CLNS50 for that 50% sign up bonus. That's betonline.ag. Is there anything else you're looking forward to this all-star weekend? I mean, I, I always watch the dunk contest, even though it always leaves some to be desired, even though there's been some awesome dunks. I just the judging and all of that is kind of I don't know. It's always disappointed me a little bit, but I'm not a huge all star weekend guy. Really, it's like I watch the game in the background, mostly the fourth quarter when guys like ramp it up a little bit. It's kind of interesting because someone like Giannis is going to try. So that's kind of fun just because he's going to he's going to give a fuck. But for the most part, it's like it's entertaining, but I'll have it on in the background. It's not something I really fixate on. Yeah, I'll probably watch it. I might go out to like a bar or something and watch it. Uh, I won't go too, too crazy with it, though. It's just like a little it's something fun, I guess. And then like the all-star game itself, like you said, I expect Giannis to like go out and try. Giannis's team has like a very funky composition. Like he took like a ton (laughs) of big guys. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's it says a lot about Giannis, the GM. It's it's kind of funny. I didn't actually watch the the draft. I, I'm kind of disappointed I didn't. I, I heard really rave reviews about it. A lot of people liked the dynamic, and people were kind of making fun of Giannis a little bit for picking all the bigs. But it should be kind of interesting. Again, I, I think that having someone like Giannis to really set the tempo in that game, like he's going to care, and that's kind of fun. Well, the best part of it was when um, uh, who did who did LeBron take? LeBron took Anthony Davis, I believe, and said like, uh, "Isn't that tampering?" Like just like the perfect timing, <laughs> like little little, little moments where Giannis is just like a perfect human. Giannis might be That's our so best good. human. Um, he he might be the most likable player in the league. Like I was making a list on this, and I think Stephen Adams is up there. Uh, yeah. Maybe Drew Holiday, but Giannis is in the top five. I think. Yeah, like just in terms of, I think Giannis is like number one in terms of likability plus like exposure. Because the more that you get exposed, like the more, like Kevin Durant would have been near the top of this. Everyone loved Kevin Durant when he won MVP. And as we've, you know, come to learn more about Kevin Durant, that number has slowly dwindled, it feels like. Uh, 
with Giannis, Giannis is again in a similar position there where, you know, it seems like he's just a great dude and a tremendous human being and uh, has basically universal appeal to everyone. Yeah, I've actually heard some stories about him and his agent and just how he conducts himself. And Giannis is really, really impressive. He, you know, he's really grateful for being discovered and like being in the NBA. Like he actually sees it as like an honor to do this stuff. And that sounds kind of like weird to say, but the guy's just a really, really good dude. And I, I'm glad that he's kind of moving into that position where he's going to represent the league. I, I think that's a great spot for the league. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It helps the game internationally. It's just a good dude to be representing the league, you know, around the entire world and certainly in the United States. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, let's talk about Zion Williamson. Let's go with next because I pitched you something in a text message that you still haven't responded to me on yet. So this will be fun. I have no idea. It's been a long week. I'm, yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't know if you think I'm fucking crazy for this or not, but uh, I threw you the idea of is Zion the number one asset in the NBA right now? Like, Obviously, no team has more than a 14% chance to get him. So, like, I'm not saying 14% of Zion. Like, is that potential to get Zion, uh, you know, the best thing that any team can have right now? I'm saying if you were to throw Zion in the player pool of the entire NBA right now, would he be the most wanted asset across the league? So we're talking about trade asset, right? As far as would he be the most coveted or we're talking about trade value. I'm not sure exactly the dynamic like, of. We'll say that you, we'll say you throw every single asset in the league into okay. a fantasy draft scenario. <laughs> and it's, you know, everyone has their current contract costs. Everyone has their current uh, contract situation, free agency situation, everything. Would Zion be picked first? That's a really great question. He might be <laughs> like, honestly, from what we've seen and just the c contract control, like you noted for, you know, eight or nine years, you have this guy and he actually has the ability to be the best player in the NBA, in my opinion. So I, I think you can make a strong case for it. Um, I, I don't think every team would agree. Like I like to look at it as I'm looking at especially young guys and on rookie scale contracts. So would Dallas trade Luca for a chance at Zion? I don't think so. Would Memphis trade Jaron Jackson for Zion? Maybe, but I doubt it because that's not how the league works. But after that, I mean, I don't think the Suns would trade DeAndre Ayton for Zion either, but I don't know. Like that's more gray area. I think he's more in that range where you can make a really strong case. Like I think that teams would rather have him than Jason Tatum, even with how much Tatum has proved himself. So I that's how high level that, we're talking. Yeah, I definitely think teams would rather have Zion than Tatum. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about. I think really if we're looking at assets on rookie, rookie contracts or even overall, I think that Luka is really the only guy in Zion's tier for me. Like, I still don't think Dallas does that, but other than him, like I, I think Donovan Mitchell, I think teams would rather have Zion. So that's, that's it for me. So I think... This is a really tough question. So Giannis has two years left after this one, if I remember correctly, right? I think yes, because he has a player option. I think he has a player option at some point, correct? Because it's the same. No, he doesn't. Case. It's flat. Okay. And he's at like I want to say twenty five. I think he signed like a four one hundred something like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's twenty five eight next season, and then in two thousand twenty, he's twenty seven five. So you're right. It's it's not a player option. So I think that I would rather. I think I would still take Giannis, I think, in this scenario. Like, I still think I would rather take three years of Giannis than bet on seven or what, like seven to eight years of Zion Williamson. Because I think that Giannis makes you an immediate contender right now. Plus, his yeah, contract yeah. at $25 million is not like just so over-the-top insane that you can't build. 
yeah, Giannis is a very strong argument here. I would probably lean that way too. Of course, without knowing any other details about likelihood of resigning and whatnot. But right. I, it, it's like what we're trying to convey here is like it's a very high level asset that we're talking about with Zion, and it's going to take someone who is like an established star with some certainty moving forward, or like a young prospect who's like very very elite to circumvent Zion. I think that he's in that top you know five ish conversation when we talk about the entire league. So James Harden is 29 years old. Uh, you'll get his age 30, 31, 32, 33 years, uh, basically at like 42 million-ish a pop. Uh, would you rather have Zion or James Harden as an asset? Now that I would Harden rather have is, Zion. Yeah, now that Harden is signed essentially for five years. I think I would rather have Zion given the contract and you're going to get really high level play, I think, out of the next two to three years. Houston would rather have Harden for, for their current winning demands, right? I mean, that's the, that's the question, too. We have to factor in act, actual realism to some extent. But if we're talking about in a vacuum, I would rather have eight years of Zion and, and cost control there for four years. I just think that he has a chance to be the, a top five player in the NBA. So I would take Zion. Man, that's so hard. That is so, so hard. Um <laughs> Because James Harden's really good. He's insane. Like, <laughs> he for five years, but five older let's be, let's, years at a high price. Let's be clear. Like, Harden is incredible. And if I could guarantee that I'm going to compete right now, if I got Harden and I got, like, two other stars, I would probably take Harden if I'm in that position, right? If I'm actually a GM and I'm like, okay, I have a chance to do this, sure. But it's in a vacuum. It's just really tough, man. When you get to those kind of 30-year-old guys like Durant, for example, of course, he has the, the contract situation that's not great because he can opt out with the one plus one. But those guys, I, I I get any case for the elite players in the NBA over Zion. I just if we're factoring contracts, I think you kind of have to lean Zion in a lot of these cases. Do you feel the same way about Steph as well? Steph has three years after this one at essentially like forty three million ish a year. <sighs> That's really tough because I think Steph is going to age better than almost anyone just because of the way he plays his game. I like agree. It, I don't know if he's going to drop off. So like I, I might take Steph there. That's really really tough. Same tier. Yeah. Man, that's hard. I think I might take Steph. I really think I might take Steph. Yeah, I mean, the cost, I mean, at 40 million, I'm fine paying that because that's one of those max contracts we talk about where you're getting the full value of that contract. So I don't really care about the 40 million because he's worth it and more than that, not just for tickets, but for like surplus value of his actual value on the floor. I don't have a problem paying him 40 million. I think he's going to live up to that over the next three years. And then I guess the the other one that we have to talk about in, in regard to like the max guys tier is Nikola Jokic. Um, Jokic you have for five years at essentially like 29 to 30 million a year. Yeah, I, oh, that's tough. And I'm going to, I'm a Jokic guy, but I would go, I would go Zion pretty easily here. And that's hard for me to say. Cause Jokic is incredible. He's in, like maybe a tier two MVP candidate this year, maybe tier one, however you want to argue it. But I think I would take Zion. I don't, I still have to see Jokic do it in the playoffs. And I know that's kind of like very old school <laughs> as far as approach, but I, I, I think I would take Zion. No, I think that's reasonable. A lot of NBA folks do have very real questions about Jokic in the playoffs and just how you might be able to kind of scheme around him and take him away a little bit. I, oh man. Oh, would I take <laughs> Jokic or Zion? That's hard. That's definitely a same tier. Are you going to make me, I mean, like it's a cop out <laughs> to not answer. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like I have oh, to. Oh, absolutely. This is tough. Like, <laughs> I do think that I would take Oh man, it would depend on market size. If I was a bigger market, I would <laughs> probably take, well, if I was a smaller market, I would probably take Zion is the way to put it. Because if okay. I was a smaller market, 
I would trust Zion to just straight up like sell tickets like crazy and sell um, merchandise and be like an immediate guy who really uh, just makes me so much money off the off the bat. Okay, so I have one for you here. LeBron James, 2019 locked up for 37 4, 2020 39 2, and then a player option in 2021 for 41. You taking LeBron or you taking Zion? If I was in LA, I would probably take. If I was in LA or New York, I would probably take LeBron. If I was anywhere else in the country, I would take Zion. Okay, so you're going for like if you're a big market, you can attract other stars. I, I think yeah. that's a very that's a good way to approach this. I don't even know what the correct way to approach this is, but that seems reasonable at least for me. Yeah, um, but it says a lot. Like if we're considering Zion over LeBron James in like even certain markets. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the caliber of prospect we're talking about, though. I mean, I think he's going to be. A generational guy like if you look back the last like four drafts or three drafts he's a tier one guy for me with luca and with ben simmons i think he's a better prospect than ben simmons is so that's what we're talking about here yeah i was gonna say would you take zion or ben simmons zion easily i think i would take zion as well would you take zion or uh carl anthony towns who is signed for five years past this one at uh i believe like 30 million a pop yeah, for me, it's Zion just based on player quality. I'm very interested in seeing what his ceiling is. I think Carl is absolutely fantastic. Of course, we've talked about that in the past. But I think his defensive deficiencies, he hasn't improved at the rate that I was honestly hopeful he would. So I think I would take uh, Zion there. And that's not really even factoring contract situation. I just think straight up as prospects, and because Carl's still a young guy, I, I would take Zion. I will say, I think Towns' defense has gotten better since Tibbs left. Uh Imagine that. <laughs> Tough, though. Same tier for me as someone who is generally a pretty big believer in Carl Towns. Um, okay. I think that there's just way too much of a uh, rush to try and crush him as a player. Uh, you know, he has basically everything that you're looking for from a prospect right now in the NBA. He's a 39% three-point shooter as a seven-footer. He is, you know, an awesome rebounder on both ends of the floor, incredibly efficient, you know, can really, really dominate offensively. Defensively, obviously, there are real concerns. I do think he's been better. I probably would take... <laughs> oh, man think i would take towns i think it's fair like for me it's pretty easily zion and it's a pro zion argument more than it's an anti towns even though it's a little bit to do with towns defense at the five i just have a thing about defending at the five position if you can't do it at a high level i'm pretty suspect and towns is about as good as you're ever going to get offensively so yeah. it's still a little bit reserved there it's hard because zion like there are still like sl like concerns here like he sure. can't He's not a consistent shooter. I, I think the shot will come eventually, but he's not a consistent shooter yet. Um, defensively, he's a defensive impact. Uh, like he, he will just straight up make an impact every single time he's on the floor defensively because of the athleticism and power. But he really gambles and gets out of position pretty regularly. And he has the recovery speed to make up for it, but he does fuck up there occasionally. Um, <laughs> I think that like all of the like other skill stuff, he has it and he's just going to be able to drive to the lane whenever he wants. He's going to be able to get into the paint with ease. You know, we talk about the increased spacing around the NBA. It's just going to absolutely help him so, so much. 
Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I, I think that the hop step move is going to be one of those things where it's a revolutionary move that yeah. not a lot of guys can do at his size. We've talked about that in the past. I have another player for you. Um, let's let's assume full health here because that would be an easy cop out if not. You've taken Joel Embiid on this contract, 25-4 this year, 27-5, you know, five years guaranteed. Let's assume he's fully healthy because you can't answer this otherwise. Would you take Joel Embiid or Zion? If we're assuming full health, I would take Embiid. Okay. Um, if we're assuming the current situation right now, which I don't know <laughs> that you can assume full health, um, it's tight. That's really tight. That's tough. And Bede's a really fascinating one just because he does bring that defense, even though he has been kind of exploited a little bit just by one team. And that's Al Horford with the Celtics. And I think there are some deficiencies in the playoffs, but I was he's say, really fucking you, good. Just generally, what do you think of his defense this year? Cause I do think it's like taking a small step backward. I can't. I haven't watched enough Philly. I've, I've watched a decent amount, but not enough to really chime in historically. I think it's 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 obviously very good. I, I just think yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's still very clearly him. a top like seven defender in the NBA, no doubt in my mind. Like last year, though, I thought he was like probably number two or number three behind Gobert. Okay, yeah, that's definitely fair. I, I didn't. Honestly, I thought his defense against Boston last year in the playoffs, and it wasn't just Horford. I thought some of the finishing play stuff wasn't there. I was kind of disappointed mm-hmm. with him and Simmons a little bit in that series. I can say that 100%. Um, he's still very good, but just not that elite, elite-level defender. This year, from what I've seen, he's been he's been very good. I, I can't really chime in more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, Joel's really good. I don't know that there's... <laughs> Man, Joel or Zion? I think I would take... I do think I would take Joel. I really do. Okay. Um, I mean, if I'm going to take like Carl Towns over him, I basically have to take Joel, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's very fair for me. Joel is just he's older than you'd think too, so the window yeah, yeah, is yeah. not as big as people think it is. Like he's a little bit older as a prospect than Zion. I think that would be my easy argument for Zion is just you're getting like five or six additional years in your prime, you know, because Zion's still 18. Well, here's sake, here's so. the other <laughs> here's the antithesis of that argument though. You're probably not getting peak Zion until he's like 22. So you have the three Fair. years at the start where you're like building up towards something. I think this kind of builds into your argument about big market teams. And in a way, if you can assemble like a winning team right now around Embiid, like, of course, the Sixers have it. But I'm not sure they have quite the level of team that can win a title. Of course, the Warriors reign over everybody there. But if you can place a winning team and you can really compete for a championship right now, I can see an argument for Embiid for sure. Yeah, I think I would take Joel for what it's worth. Um, I, I do. Okay, I have an... I have another one for you because this you're like the captain of this ship. Aiton or Zion? Zion. I would take Zion. Ooh, yeah. I'm a little I surprised. Would. I would. I, I really love DeAndre. Um, I am a huge DeAndre Aiton fan. I think he is going to be an all NBA player. I also think Zion is going to be an all NBA player. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm obviously a little bit lower at eight, and so I would, I would take Zion pretty easily. Last one on my end. I can't answer this question. I, I don't know if you did already, but Luca or Zion? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I do think that I would take Zion right now. I do. Okay. They're same tier for me. That's as far as I can get. I go back and forth. I think if Zion shoots, it's clearly Zion. But I do have a little bit of reservations about that pull-up. And with Luka, you don't have that. You can never take Luka away with that step back and that ability to shoot over the top. So I go back and forth. I think that if Luka gets a little more athletic, maybe he can challenge even if Zion gets a respectable jumper. But in that case, I I would lean Zion. I I just don't know. Yeah, man. Making me go against my guy DeAndre. I don't don't like this. (laughs) I don't like this at all. Um, 
Yeah, no. I, I mean, th- th- that's where we're talking about, though. We're talking about the best assets in the NBA, basically. And Zion will immediately fit into that conversation somewhere. We don't exactly know where. I don't know that we... I think you're a little bit higher on Zion than I am, um, which is crazy considering I've now called Zion like the best <laughs> prospect since Anthony Davis to basically everyone who works in an NBA front office that's asked me. So, like, I don't... Like, I, I'm very, very high on Zion. It, I just... It's hard, man. It's hard, it's hard to take it's hard for me to pass up on like guaranteed production and that has nothing to do with like me like being like not confident in my evaluation it's just that there are still questions about Zion's game that I think need to be answered Absolutely. I think it's just kind of, he's just really, really intriguing. Of course, we don't have to sell him as a prospect. I think everybody's pretty much on board, or almost everyone. Some people still have other people at number one, and that's just, we're not going to talk about that because it's very disappointing. But I, I think well, I mean, it's, here's the thing, though. Like, it's, it's just wrong. I mean, uh, oh, it's flagrantly wrong. Let's just be yeah, clear about that. <laughs> like, in regard to, and like, look, if he, comes back from medicals and there are flags for whatever reason. Um, I'm not necessarily expecting that. I'm just saying like, if there are this conversation changes, right? This could totally be different, but until then, man, like it's, it's just not even debatable. Like who is so like Zion has the best PER since it's been quantified over the last decade in college basketball. Uh, and it's by a long shot. It's like the difference between Zion and number two, is like the difference between like number two and like number 40 or something like that in PER. Um, And then you throw in like, hey, PER doesn't really account for defense. Oh, well, Zion's a really fucking good defender as well. Oh, wait, like PER, uh, you know, it, it rewards guys that are high volume players. Well, Zion's not even the highest volume guy on his team right now. So like, it, it's just fucking insane how good Zion is. There, there's just no excuse to not have him at number one well, on the impact metrics i mean he's got a 21.7 box plus minus that is like three points higher than anthony davis who is number three actually brandon clark i think is ahead of anthony davis brandon clark's a bad motherfucker dude like that dude is really good we can talk about him in the draft section if you want to but yeah, we will. yeah i mean historically zion as far as impact on college is just absolutely outrageous he's his efficiency his playmaking on defense you noted the gambling definitely a riverboat gambler a little bit but he he turns plays like he will flip plays in transition. He'll get out in the break because he he gets steals. He gets a ton of weak side blocks. He talks about team defense and in interviews. So I'm all in on the guy. Yeah, no, he's he's awesome. He is a legit great player. Uh, something he's not going to have to worry about anytime soon, though, is losing his hair. Sixty six percent of men lose their hair by the age of thirty five. The thing is, though, that when you start to notice that hair loss, it's too late. If that hairline slowly starts to creep backwards over the next little while uh how are you going to feel a year from now whenever it's no longer business as usual up there uh go to forhims.com to stop that slow march backward it's a one-stop shop for hair loss skin care and sexual wellness for men thanks to science baldness can be optional hymns connects you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss uh there's no waiting room there's no awkward doctor visit uh you just save hours by going to forhims.com 
It's so easy. All you got to do is answer a few questions and the doctor will review and help prescribe what you need. Uh, And then those products are shipped directly to your door. Order now and my listeners are going to get a trial month of Hims for just $5 right now while supplies last. See that website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 com slash game theory. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash game theory. G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y for com slash game theory. Oh boy, Cole. Let's, uh, let's talk about DeAndre Hunter. So coming into the year, I had DeAndre Hunter at uh, my best returning prospect in college basketball. I had, I think, six other freshmen ahead of him at the time. Uh, that was wrong. He should have been like number four on my board, in my opinion, looking back. Uh, it's just an incredible, he, he's so awesome. He is just an immediate impact player in the NBA, in my opinion. Yeah, I just think he's really solid in this class. Um, you know what you're getting from him. In my opinion, he's the best wing defender in the class as far as a real switch guy. And I think that I kind of wrote about this in my piece is like, that gets thrown around a little too cavalierly as far as guys who can really switch and actually make a difference on the ball. And so he's guarded strongly basically. agree with that. I so agree with that. Yeah. So I think that in the draft, especially we, we have a, a wing type that we think can fit these measurements. Like maybe Casey Paul, I'm, I'm a little lower on him than you are, but if he's considered like this dynamic switch guy, I think you're oh, giving too defensively. Yeah, they're not even close. Like there, yes. it's not even a conversation. Like DeAndre is so much better than Casey defensively. And I, I think there are reasons for that. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of Stanford's defensive like scheme. So for people who don't know, Stanford like sells out like crazy to stop the three point line. And what it results in are a lot of like kind of off balance closeouts. And it ends up looking like his feet are kind of stuck in the mud. So I can't really tell right now if with Casey, it's, you know, a situation where he's closing out heavy because that's what the coaches want him to do. And he has some quickness once you get him on balance, wants to teach him a little bit better technique, or if it's a situation where he just doesn't have great feet. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And for me, it's just like we don't know with Casey, but people are some right. people are attributing him like this potential wing stopper potential, and they're moving him up boards because he's got great measurements, which is fine. He can shoot off the catch, I believe, in a shot. But with Hunter, we know he can guard. We've seen two years of this evidence on multiple different players. Like we've seen him guard R.J. Barrett this year, and when he actually guarded R.J. and R.J. tried to drive, he just completely enveloped him. Like R.J. couldn't do anything yep. against him as far as in an isolation setting. Like he he did make some threes. I think some of that's the scheme with Virginia playing gap defense and trying to dissuade drives. And I think that, honestly, I think if Hunter was just like, I'm taking you out of the game, I'm going to guard you, I'm going to face guard you the entire game, RJ wouldn't have, have done well. Just because Hunter is that caliber of individual on-ball defender. He's defended Zion. I thought he'd done a pretty good job about it, as well as you could hope for. Kept Zion in front. Of course, you can't keep Zion from exploding over the top of you. Um, he yep. guarded Marvin Bagley last year. We see what he yep. did with Kobe White the other night with his length. Uh, yep. you, go down, you just go down the list. He's just, he can guard everybody. Yeah, he's a monster defensively. Like, he is just an immediate impact player defensively, I think. Like, there is nothing that makes me think otherwise. Offensively, I think the big question is whether or not you believe in the jump shot. He's shooting 45% from three this year. That's a mirage. He is not a 45% three-point shooter. Um, And this comes from someone who is a big fan of him. He's shot 42% from three on 100 attempts over two years. That's not where he's at as a shooter. Um So the question is, how do you believe that the jump shot translates to the next level? It has like kind of a robotic, I don't want to say hitchy. It's not necessarily hitchy, but it is like a two motion-y jumper a little bit. He, uh, 
has different, he utilizes different footwork into his jump shot often. Sometimes he goes left, right into the jumper. Sometimes it's right, left into the jumper. Um, it's just like a little bit inconsistent, but he's so, he has such good touch that like, it just kind of works out for him at this level. Uh, and he can just shoot over everyone because he's so big and so long. But like, to me, I think he's shown enough now to where I feel confident you can develop that part of his game. I I just really believe in him as a prospect. I I think he is like almost day one starter in the NBA is like a fifth starter. If you want to, I think the allure a lot is like, you can easily see him in the playoffs. And I know a lot of people say you overvalue playoff caliber players, but Draymond green has talked about it. There are regular season players and there are playoff players. And I think Hunter is one of the easiest guys in the class to say, you know, he can play in the playoffs if you believe in the shooting. Like, go guard that guy. Go guard Paul George. Make it hard for him. I'm saying he can, like, he's not an overwhelming athlete where he's going to take these guys away, but he can make things really difficult with his length because, like, a lot of guys don't have 7-2 wingspans that can move laterally like him. And I do think there are some concerns defensively as far as playmaking. I know some of it's scheme-based, but he doesn't have great feel, anticipation off the ball as far as generating events. He's not a very good weak side rim protector. Of his 21 blocks, 14 of them have come on the ball and he's played like 1300 minutes. So it's not like this guy is of course like Zion capable of rotating over and blocking shots. So you don't get a lot of the playmaking. I don't think he has great feel, but he's a switch guy. He's in a scheme in the playoffs where a lot of teams switch. I think he can handle those assignments. And then offensively, I just think his entire game is kind of rigid and it kind of throws people off. It's effective, but it's not very aesthetic as far as watching him dribble. Everything's very slow processing. Like he misses immediate reads. He kind of takes these slow developing dribbles and you're just like, what are you doing? But for the shooting, he has shot versatility. Like, this guy has made, like, 42% of his pull-ups in his career. Like, he can yeah. get shots off the dribble. We've seen him get him over the top. Like, he can shoot right over the top of RJ. If Virginia wanted to use him this way, I think he's underutilized offensively a lot of the time. Like, a Virginia, like, when they're playing Virginia Tech and Nikhil Alexander-Walker is guarding Hunter, I think Hunter could absolutely roast him if he wanted to, just in the mid post and stuff like that. He can get a shot whenever he wants. So I think there's more offensive ability there. And that kind of makes me optimistic about his shooting just because we've seen a little bit of off movement shooting. He had that off screen shot against the recent Duke game over Marquise Bolden off the move. And like that kind of fluidity, that kind of coordination, I think is going to translate to a good shooter. I'm not saying a great shooter, but I think he's going to be a capable catch and shoot guy. And he can do a little bit more in the mid post, can beat switches at times. And I think that's really valuable. So I think he is the closest thing that we have seen to Kawhi since Kawhi has come out of the draft and Kawhi obviously had the insane like outlier level growth right for a development from the time he got to the NBA I'm not saying DeAndre Hunter is going to be Kawhi because I think that that is just (laughs) genuinely like kind of something you can't really expect in terms of a prospect's development track but they do they have similar issues in terms of they were pretty rigid coming out of college uh they didn't really see a ton of passes like they were willing passers and you know assist rate wise like deandre was fine and i believe Kawhi was like up about 10 in terms of uh, assist rate in college so they saw what they needed on the floor but weren't necessarily elite level playmakers terrific defenders multi-positional high level defenders six eight seven two wingspan all of the frame stuff in the world that you could ever want uh Probably a little bit more comfortable operating in the mid post as opposed to anywhere else on the floor. That was certainly Kawhi in college and honestly kind of continues to be Kawhi to this day. Just in terms of style, I think that DeAndre is the closest I can remember to Kawhi. I don't expect him to reach that level in terms of being like a top five MVP candidate, 
but I do believe that that he is the closest that I've seen to Kawhi recently in terms of just the way that they play. Yeah, and I think just from a physical dimension standpoint, a lot of guys get compared to Kawhi. You can just write them off immediately. Like, Mikhail's too skinny. Like, he doesn't have that strength. Josh Jackson doesn't have the length. So, like, over the years, we've seen basically a lot of wing prospects be compared to Kawhi, and you can just Rui Ashimura this year is the other one. Honestly, I get more comparisons with Rui to Kawhi than DeAndre to Kawhi, and I don't agree with that. Oh, that's wild to me. That's very wild. Um, If you're talking defense first, that's that's pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, for Hunter, he's not an overwhelming athlete. Like I think Kawhi is more athletic, and I think Kawhi has better feel. Like Hunter's feel still like leaves some to be desired. Like Kawhi, yeah. I, I don't, I, I didn't watch college basketball very in depth at that stage, but I remember Kawhi initiating more sets. I think Kawhi's handle is better. He's got more dribble moves. Like Hunter can play face up basketball. I think his handle is a little underrated, but it's not high level. It's a little rigid there. Um, but straight I think line. You're right. It's always straight line. Yeah, I think you're right in saying stylistically, like Hunter wins a lot in the mid post not as strong and of course Kawhi added strength so it's very hard for me to compare because I don't remember Kawhi's build in in college but now he's just a, a behemoth right he drops his shoulder right. and he can get a shot anytime he wants maybe Hunter gets to that level I think Hunter is kind of an amorphous frame too like I, I feel like he can switch his frame and like add strength or lose weight pretty easily like if you look at him last year compared to this year I think there are some differences there so maybe that's something to factor in as well if he just gets super big and he can really manhandle guys in the post even though a lot of teams don't play that way anymore yeah yeah, uh, I'm a big DeAndre Hunter fan. Where do you, uh, I mean, so I, I will say this, like I have DeAndre Hunter <laughs> at number four right now on my board. Um, how would you compare him and Cam Reddish? I, I think that that is like, I was having this conversation with a college coach earlier today. Um, Great question. Like Cam Reddish, I believe is what, like two years younger, two and a half years younger, something like that. Maybe two years younger. Yes. Um, cause Cam's a little bit old for his age. Not crazy old, he's but like a, a little bit. Yeah. It's a little less than two years. So, cause he's, yeah. n- he's 19 five right now and Hunter is 21 too. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of reason to believe that Cam Reddish is going to grow. He has more natural ball skill. He's a more natural shooter. Um, but DeAndre is just, I think he has better feel for the game. I think he has better, uh, defensive ability. Certainly, uh, you can just believe that he's going to step in and make an immediate impact in terms of winning plays. I mean, if you were take, if you had to pick one of those two, who are you taking right now? That's a great question. And I have the ultimate cop out <laughs> is that whatever I'm doing, I'm trading back in this draft. But if I was forced <laughs> to pick one, like that's, that's how I'm approaching this draft. If I get two to five, like I'm not taking, I don't want to pick in that range this year. I don't think the value is there. I want to get out. If I can get Hunter at 12 or 13 compared to Reddish at three, I would rather have Hunter plus the asset. I mean, that's the way I'm thinking. I about don't it. think there is any way DeAndre Hunter has fallen to 12. I will just say that okay. now. I, I understand like that where people have him right now <laughs> on mock drafts. I don't think there's any way he has fallen number 12. Yeah, I want to believe you, but honestly, after all these years, I've been surprised many a time with how these guys are evaluated. I think there there are concerns with Hunter, it, but yeah. like it's not in this class, like it, it just comes down to what you what you value. I think the fast I think Reddish versus Hunter is very fascinating just because for for me Reddish is more of like a big wing team defender where yeah. he's very good in the passing lanes, but he doesn't have anywhere near Hunter's lateral athleticism and on-ball defense. So it's kind of like stylistically, what do you prefer? I don't think Reddish is going to guard these elite wing defense or these wing offensive players. I still think he's that athletic. I've been saying that all year. Like, I think his athleticism is way overrated. But I trust Cam Reddish to shot more. I think he shoots an easy ball. Um, 
I expected him to be a better shooter. Honestly, whenever he shoots, I think it's going in, but it almost never does, it seems like. It's just very weird, that, that dynamic. But it's, it's very interesting because I view Cam Reddish more as like, if he gets to Otto Porter's level right now, that's a very good player. And that's more of the player I see than I, than I see this initiator type. So it's, it's more stylistically, what do you prefer? Do you prefer the on-ball defense or do you prefer the team defense and more like sh- maybe more shooting upside? So it's very close. Okay, so I think I'm at the point with Cam because we, we should just talk about Cam now. We, we've we've hit enough on DeAndre at this stage. I think. <laughs> um, with Cam, I really think that Duke's total lack of spacing and his willingness to kind of sink into being the third guy behind Zion and RJ has created a situation where it's similar to kind of Kevin Knox last year. Remember, we kind of had the, this conversation about like how athletic is Kevin Knox in the half court, right? Oh, yeah. I still... I think it's kind of a similar deal with Cam. Like Kevin Knox is athletic enough in the half court. And I think that Cam is too. And a large reason why we don't get to see it often is he doesn't have the space to operate in the mid range because Zion's always there. You know, there's all always the point guard help defender helping off of Trey because there's just no reason to have to guard Trey close out on the perimeter. Um, You know, Guys sink in off of RJ regularly. They often play a regular center like Marquise Bolden or Javon Delorier next to Cam Reddish. So like, I think that there's just so little space for him to operate in the condensed college zone offensively that we haven't yet seen the best of his athleticism. I think that's fair to an extent. Like, I do think he's going to be better with NBA space, 100%. But I just don't see, I still don't see the athleticism when he should show it. Even in advantageous situations, like he's attacking a closeout. There's a lot of times where he could dunk the ball and he just doesn't have the the bounce to get up. And he has Mm -hmm. space to do it. So I do think his athleticism is pretty overrated. And I think Knox, like Knox tricks you a lot because like we saw that dunk the other night where he can really explode off two. Yeah, that kind of play isn't reminiscent or isn't like a holistic approach to evaluating athleticism. Like Knox is yeah. finishing at like 38 percent this year. And there are other reasons for that, not just athleticism. It's like he's never been a good finisher. It might right. be some touch, even though he's got great touch on the floaters, but he's not very comfortable yet, you know, taking that extra step to get to the rim. But for me, Cam is just like, even in the, the plays that he should show athleticism in the space, like he's not doing it to the level that you'd expect. Like I, I think it's pretty underwhelming there, but I do agree with you that he's going to look better at the NBA level that he does right now. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Brandon Clark. Uh, you wanted to talk about Brandon Clark. I, I will just give you the floor to talk about Brandon. Uh, he's obviously just fucking awesome. Like he is someone that I am just the positional questions. They exist. And I think are reasonable. He's just, so goddamn good he, he knows where to be every single <laughs> possession of every single game he's just insane yeah i always want to talk about brandon clark because he's honestly saving a lot of the season for me because i will watch every gonzaga game that's televised because he is must see tv in my opinion he just gets it man he's so good he's like literally he's easily the second best player in the country this year and I, i'm saying that as a big grant williams fan but i think brandon clark is on a different level than even him that's how fucking good that guy is at basketball like some of the games i watch he literally doesn't make any mistakes in the entire game he rotates he blocks a ton of shots he's always in the right place i'm higher on a shooting upside just watching how his touch has translated, like when he attacks the rim yeah. and he's even at high speeds, like he finishes well. I'm not talking about just dunks. I'm talking about like touch shots, like runners. I think that he's going to be able to shoot threes in time off the catch. Nothing, maybe nothing off the dribble from three, of course, because that's getting way too far ahead. But I, I do think that there is more shooting upside than he gets credit for. He's just one of the, he's, if we're just going on the best players this year, 
I, he's the second best player in the country, and this guy's athletic is all hell. Like this is what I don't get. It's not like this is just some college player. Like he's like the second or third conservatively most athletic player in this draft if he declares like this guy's insanely quick off the floor um great bounce all of that stuff the anticipation he's one of the smartest players in this draft and this draft lacks a lot of that iq at a high level he's just off the charts there i think that if you think you can teach him to shoot he is a lottery pick just straight up like if you believe that you can teach brandon clark to shoot it at a high level you should take him somewhere in the lottery I am somewhat skeptical of that. I'm not like fully skeptical of it. Like I've talked to NBA executives that just straight up do not think he will ever shoot. I'm not there necessarily because I do agree with you that he shows good touch around the basket. Uh, you know, he does have a nice little floater game. It's it's not a question of touch. I think it's a t- question of mechanics. And he has shown the willingness over yeah. the course of his career to really, really work and really improve. If you don't think he can shoot, I think he is like right around 20th overall. If you think you can teach him to shoot, I think he's like 10th overall. And I'm willing to just make that bet on it. Like If you just flat out, like you straight up believe this kid will shoot one day, no questions asked, where do you take him? Oh, top five for me. He might go number two. I'm not even trying to be hyperbolic here. Like this guy is legit good. And that's if you think he can shoot. If like if well, if you're projecting him to shoot, question like no questions asked. Yes. Yes, 100%. If you have a very, yeah, if you are saying he's going to shoot for sure, then I have absolutely no problems taking him even at number two in this class. I think he's just that good at basketball, and there's enough indicators that I'll buy. Again, like, we're not the biggest fans of going by free throw percentage for shooting upside or whatnot necessarily in a vacuum, but this guy was 56% his freshman year. He's 67% this year, and that's not a huge, huge leap, but... Again, this is a guy who overhauled his mechanics, right? I mean, if you yeah. watched him in San Jose State, he was shooting, you know, grenade launcher shots off his shoulder. And now it was, it was a really legit rigid. shot put off of his shoulder. Exactly right. And I, I was watching his tape and I loved so much of his tape. And then you got to that. You're like, son of a bitch. Like, this is <laughs> and then you're like, now it's a little fuck? It, it, who taught you that? Like, what are you yeah, doing? Wild. And that's another thing we can get into at a later time about how these guys develop their shots and why the hell some of them have these mechanics when they shouldn't. But Clark is definitely one of those guys. And I think that, you know, now it's it's still mechanical. It's very rigid as far as that goes. But he's had some really promising, like, pick and pop, some some spot ups. He's shooting. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't shot a ton of threes this year, but he's you know, four of 11. Yeah, 11 threes made four. I, nobody's really going to buy him as a shooter based on his stat page. But I think if you look at if you project and look at like the runner touch and you look at the progressions mechanically um, and some of the makes he's made just on film are pretty impressive. Like they look they look a li- like somewhat convincing, I would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'm closer to your side <laughs> than the other side. Um, over the last 10 games, uh, he has won the Ken Palm MVP of the game seven times. He is just like on a ridiculous tear right now. Uh, he, he is dominating every single time that he steps on the floor. Uh, let's also just, I just want to shame the voters for these hall of fame awards that they yes. give out. Um, Thank you. The Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the uh, what's the other one? The Carl Malone, the power forward in the center, best power forward, best center in the country awards. He is on neither of those top 10 lists. Brandon Clark. I don't know if I would say he's the second best player in the country. He might be. He's like right around there, I think. Um, but like, he's certainly in the top five overall players in college basketball. And he is not on either of those top 10 positional lists. Can, can we talk about the center list? <laughs> I think it's the worst 
award list I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't have it in front of me, so do you mind sharing it? I, I don't know what the list was. It is the best center in college basketball. The best center in college basketball. So I'll read you the ones that are like reasonable, right? Um, Daniel Gafford, okay. Bruno Fernando, Charles Bassey, Ethan Happ. Um, like we, we can talk about like Charles Bassey and whether or not we think he's like projectable to the NBA and all that jazz, right? Um, but what Bassey has done this year, I think is pretty reasonably impressive. I think he's at like 16 and 10, 15 and 10 right now with two and a half blocks a game. Genuinely, like that's really, really good. And I think that he deserves credit for what he's done this year. Um, You know, Gafford, again, I think he's at like 18 and 10, something like that, 18 and nine. Um, Ethan Happ's obviously an incredible college basketball player. And then Bruno Fernando has been great this year as well. So Nick Perkins at Buffalo, who does not start for them, uh, straight up does not start. Nico Carvacho at Colorado State. Leading the country in rebounding, not really a huge difference maker, even in the Mountain West. Jesse Govan at Georgetown. Nick Ward at Michigan State, two guys who really just can't defend at all. Nathan Knight at William & Mary. Have you watched any Nathan Knight? I have not. I've seen the rest of these guys, but I have not seen Nathan Knight. So Nathan Knight is like, you know, 6'10", 7'2", wingspan. Uh, they play, I believe, like a Princeton style of offense, if I remember correctly from watching them earlier this year. He's a good passer. It's like Nathan Knight is probably like the fifth or sixth guy on this list, like in terms of like best guys on this list. So I can't really, I have bigger complaints than having Nathan Knight on this list, weirdly. Moses Brown is on this list. Oh my God. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on Moses Brown. I mean... They're not good, so I don't know how much I should really share, but good God. Looking at this list, if, if Brandon, bottom line for me is if Brandon Clark's not on any top five list in the country as do far you, as being good. Do you know what Moses Brown is shooting from the free throw line right now? I've seen his form, so I'm guessing like 40s? Lower. Oh, my God. 34.7. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's got to be some kind of record. 95 free throws this year, and he's hitting 34.7%. And look, like, I think Moses Brown, at some point down the road, can probably be, like, in a, a pretty good college basketball player and maybe sure. has some NBA potential if he can fill out his frame. Uh, like, I, I did, I, I remember talking to you earlier this year about his jump shot form, and I said, this is genuinely the ugliest jump shot I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I 100% agree with you. Watching him at the foul line, that that stroke is just the hitch and just the delivery and how segmented it is is very very low level. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I'm looking up uh, right now, just in terms of players that have taken at least 90 free throws in a year and made less than 40. percent um, There are more than what I thought there would be. I will say that. Let's see. Pulling it up now. We've got. We've got 66 guys that have done this before. The lowest number, uh, Lawrence Myers at Jackson State, 12% on 125 free throws. That's an incredible flex, by the way. (laughs) 2,000. That is unbelievable. Rokas Gustis, by the way, at Hofstra a couple years ago, ended up transferring up to Rutgers. Uh, He took... How many free throws here? He took 100 and was at 28%. Uh, Taco Fall, I believe, this year is at 32.5%. So Moses Brown is not even the worst this year, by the way. I wonder if there's ever been an NBA prospect that's in the 30s from the line. I can't. I don't have my database in well, front here, of me. I'm, but I'm I actually, assume, 
I'm looking this up right now. Dan Gadzurich uh, was at 39 one year at UCLA, but not his draft year. Okay. Uh, so Gadzurich played in the NBA a little for a little bit at least. Joey Dorsey uh, got drafted at least. He was at 38. I don't know if did okay. Joey Dorsey end up playing in the NBA. Yeah, I thought he played a couple of games for Houston, right? I think that was in that Maury story, and then they realized he wasn't very good pretty quickly yeah he's a great great college player though uh shout out yeah shout out joey dorsey um yeah i think <laughs> that those are the only two i'm seeing here that it took at least 90 free throw attempts and made under 40 percent yeah that makes sense i mean that's a pretty i mean that's a very very low number that there's not much to be encouraged about if you're shooting 30s in the line on that kind of volume yeah so moses brown um you know, I think at some point he might be an NBA prospect. He's just nowhere close right now. In terms of guys that I think should be on this list, um, I would have Teske on this list. I would have Nemius Quetta on this list over these guys. I would have Tariq Owens yep. from Texas Tech uh, on this list over a lot of these guys. Mike Dom plays center for South Dakota State. I think he's nominated for the Carl Malone Award, but like he should, he's a center. Like he should be nominated for this award, and actually would have helped them a lot if they would have, you know, correctly positioned him within the voting uh i'm trying to think who else would you have jack salt over any of these guys would you rather have jack salt or moses brown this year i think i would rather have jack salt me too i mean he takes just for screen setting alone that guy sets some awesome screens (laughs) yeah like that that's that's where i'm at um trying to think is is there anyone else that like we could Zylan cheatham doesn't really play center for arizona state he does like occasionally but not really um yeah i think that that's you know we just named a bunch and plus brandon clark the guy who brought this conversation the whole way would you take kyler kelly over any of these guys the center from oregon state yeah that's really interesting i haven't seen i've probably seen two oregon state games so i haven't seen enough but what from what i have seen like against usc he was pretty awesome yeah like he's effective at least at the college level. Oh, a guy that I would definitely have. I would, I would have Nick Claxton at Georgia over a lot of these guys. Oh, love Nick Claxton. That guy is, I think he's, he's kind of a special athlete for his size. Like he's yeah. perimeter defense. I can't remember who he contained. I had the clip of this, but you know, he can really get in his stance and he's got some really intriguing offensive upside and defensive upside with his skill set. I think before we talked about him compared to Rayshon Hammonds on that team and who would you rather have? I think I said Hammonds at the time. I would flip that. I would, I would definitely yeah. rather have Claxton. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to write about Nick Claxton, I think, next week. Uh, Something going up next week, I think, on Nick Claxton included with some other guys. Um, But yeah, like it's just not even like half these guys should not even be remotely near this list. It is honestly the worst list I've ever seen put together for an award in the history of awards. It's really bad. Did you say Fernando was on this list or not? Yes, he is. Okay, good. Okay, I, I actually think he's been pretty solid this year. So as someone who was a skeptic in his freshman year, I think he's improved a little bit. So I liked him there. But yeah, for, for me, it's just like Brandon Clark is one of the – he's not only one of the best five players this season in college by a very wide margin. He's having one of the best college seasons we've seen in a long time. And you can say he might just be a college player. No, I don't believe that. But the guy, is, he's been incredible this year. The, the level of play he's put together is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, like people will look at Bruno Fernando's counting numbers and – would probably in like just the measurables of being 6'10 with a 7'4 wingspan and looking more like a traditional center, I guess. Um, yeah. And probably would say Bruno Fernando. Brandon Clark has been a lot better than Bruno Fernando this year. Um, I, I, and this comes as someone that is like, I think I am ready to say, like, I would understand a team using a first round pick on Bruno Fernando. Like, it took me a while to get there uh, just me because. Too. 
I, you know, I, I'm not a guy that thinks it's worth taking draft picks on centers right now in the NBA, but I think that you might be able to convince me that there is some like starter equity there at some point if he can really really focus in defensively yeah i i kind of agree with you honestly in in the placement of the draft i mean i don't value fernando as like a high level starter you might have some bottom level ability on certain teams but i do understand the the hype around the late first round i think that you can convince me of a lot of guys in that range and fernando has been impressive he's you know his passing has been good this year I i think his defense has improved to the extent that i could understand taking a kind of project center he's good enough to where he's not like a full prospect yeah. like a Ike and a Bogu but I, I do like he's fine in that range for me yeah like he's I mean like if you're asking me if I'm gonna take him or Naz Reed like I'm taking him like no questions asked about that <laughs> um LSU has been kind of interesting like have you watched any of LSU recently I just watched the Kentucky game I think I watched one other game but I can't remember who the competition was so like they have a lot of athletes they have lost one game since December 15th. Like, do you have any strong LSU takes? I'm not really a fan of any of them from a prospect standpoint. I think all of them have kind of underwhelmed. Like, Tremont Waters is really good. I think this year maybe take, he's taken a little bit of a step back, but he's just too small, and I hate being that, you know, conclusory with a prospect. But just very few guys succeed at that size. Nas Reed. I think is really skilled. I'm not sure if I totally buy the shooting, but he's shot the ball really well in conference play. It looks pretty good, and he has NBA range. We talked about his ball handling coordination in the past. I just don't buy the decision-making. I think his defense is actually a little underrated in one element. I think that he has better feel than he gets credit for. I would love to hear Uh, this on how you believe Nazarene's defense is underrated. In one (laughs) one component. (laughs) I'm just talking about feel and the effort to make rotations. I think that he's underrated there. He reacts pretty quickly. Um, He's just not good at anything specifically like he's not good at closing out he he's not good in space and he, he can't protect the rim because he doesn't have the bounce so is, is he a good defensive prospect no but i don't think he's like an incredibly porous defender who's bad at every single element of defense like he has impressed me with his decision making a little bit there there was a point this year where i thought he might be the worst defensive center that i've ever scouted <laughs> um he's not that he's definitely not that i will say now um he he does at least you're right he has the right feel in terms of knowing where to be. So that's good. He, he is, I think he is genuinely like a super high level, like basketball mind, uh, just in the way that he knows how to attack closeouts and the way that he uh, knows how to make decisions offensively, even as well as defensively. I, I do think that there is some like very real potential there. Um, I, I just don't know that I can trust him yet. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think offensively, if I bought the decision making a little bit more, like he's just so wild sometimes. Like he'll just make these ridiculous passes he should never make. That's true. But you can, but you can see the intelligence, right? I think he is a smarter player than he gets credit for. Like I, I came into the season like, okay, this guy's super talented. I don't know if he has the mind. And I think I've been more impressed with the mind this season, but I, I still don't think he's much of a prospect just for all the limitations. And, and, you know, you said you watched LSU Kentucky. I mean, let's talk about PJ Washington real quick because that's what I wanted to bring up. Absolutely. Yeah. He's been awesome for Kentucky. He's been genuinely really, really good for Kentucky. I am at the point where I think he is like a top 20 prospect. And in this class, I think that's fair. Honestly, I, I wanted to bring him up because he's been super productive. He's been he's been impressive, but he still doesn't pop for me. Like when I watch him sure. play, I 
like so many things he does. Like I, I give him a ton of credit for improving the shooting mechanics. hundred percent. I even buy the shot from three. I think that he's going to be able to shoot off the catch and pick and pop some of the closeout attacks. He, he is a pretty good passer when like you double him. Like he, he's got good vision. He's unselfish. He had one really nice drive and kick um, on a closeout. I can't remember who the skip pass was to in the LSU game, but really, really that was probably the best play I've seen him make. But when I watch him, I just, I don't have that like, it feeling with him like i just don't see it from like a high level intelligence standpoint high level skill st- standpoint he's fine in the in the late first i think i'm there i think he's a top 25 guy yeah. but you've seen some lottery talk some top 10 talk i'm definitely not there no i agree with you and the big thing is i think people think he is an athlete and you talk to coaches around the sec and like coaches that have played him and they're just not there on that like they just don't they don't see him as like a crazy athlete. And because of that, like the, the comparison I've been making is another Kentucky guy. Like I think he's Patrick Patterson, basically uh, a guy okay. who can step out, knock down threes from distance, be a really nice little third big who can probably play both big positions. It's probably about where it is though. Yeah. And Patrick Patterson's a great outcome. I mean, he was good right. like, I agree. In, in his prime. Yeah. Yeah. Like so that's I'm, what I'm, I'm saying with, like I'm top 20. Like I think that, you know, if you end up with a Patrick Patterson in this draft, you're probably pretty happy at number 20. Do you think PJ moves his feet as well as Patterson? I think PJ's feet are pretty good, but yeah. Patterson's feet were excellent. I, I feel like in college and then like when he was actually fully healthy and in his prime, like I felt like he was really, really good at hard hedging and stuff like that. Do you think um, PJ's at that level? I do. The, the way the reason I would say that is that if you watch him with the ball, his first step is very quick with the ball. And I would think that that lateral quickness with his first step would translate to defense. Like they just kind of don't do a lot of that stuff at Kentucky defensively. Right. So like yeah. I, I just having seen him with the ball, having seen that quick first step, I do think that he'll be OK in terms of guarding on the perimeter. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I buy him as a perimeter defender enough. I don't think he's going to be. This is what we talked about when you can actually make a difference like a hunter. He makes a difference. I'm not sure if I buy PJ as like a yeah. difference maker. Like some people have said some people have compared him to, to fucking Kawhi. And yeah. I don't not even a little at all. Not, not even a little, little bit. bit from yeah, and I think that we've gotten to the point where we just expect Calipari like, suppresses so many of his prospects because we see Devin Booker and how he blows up. I, I just don't see it, even, again, in the advantage situations that P.J. has. I think he's fine. He's a very good college player. I don't necessarily see impact at the next level. I think he's fine, though. Do we want to talk about Keldon Johnson at all? Like, Do you have, do you have any Keldon Johnson thoughts? I'm pretty underwhelmed frankly. And he was some guy, somebody I really wanted to like, cause I love his approach. I love his, I, but all that stuff, I think overshadows a lot of the weaknesses too. You know what I mean? When you talk about him, you talk about the toughness, you talk about the physicality, the mental approach there. I just don't think he's that good of an athlete, man. And he's been exposed in space for me, like as a finisher, he, his drive and kick game, some of the passes haven't been there. Decision-making. I buy the shot more than I did. Honestly, I'm actually, I think he's going to shoot, but yeah, so do every I. other, Every other element of his game, I'm less high on, if that makes sense. He has a negative assist-to-turnover ratio right now. That doesn't surprise me watching his film, man. He makes some really frustrating decisions. Yeah, like it's it's very bizarre. And I think the part of the reason that he makes poor decisions is because he doesn't really have much diversity off the bounce. Like he is basically just like a power straight-line driver right now. And then he gets caught and ends up not being able to really do anything. Like I... I am someone that is willing to bet on wings that play hard, that are pretty smart, I think, in terms of the way that he plays defense, and that have a requisite level of athleticism. I know that he's gotten burned a little bit defensively this year by quicker guys. 
I still think he's probably going to be okay in that regard at the next level. He's definitely a better team defender than he is a one-on-one defender though. Um, And plus you throw in the fact that we think he's going to shoot it, throw in the fact that I also thought I saw a little bit more playmaking uh, in AAU when I saw him. I can, like, I I think that you probably take him top 17-ish. Like he's, he's someone that I am slowly but surely like dropping a little bit on though. The problem is like, how far do you really drop a guy in this draft? (laughs) Like it's, it's hard to like drop a guy when he's going up against like Romeo Langford, right? Yeah. I would take Langford there. Um, he has his own bag of concerns, of course, but I think the sentiment here is, is an alignment. Like I, he's definitely dropped for me. I just think. Honestly, I don't want to bring up Hunter every time we talk about a prospect, but I think Hunter is what a lot of people think Kelvin Johnson can be. Like, I just don't see his size as impactful either. He's kind of like that 6'6 guy, but he looks more like 6'5 and a half. He's a little on the smaller side to me as far as how he plays. So if he's not going to be an impactful defender and really guard like bigger threes, like that would be my allure with him. If he was like 6'8, I would have a lot of allure with him, like more at least because he could guard a bigger wing instead of being more of a two guard defender. I just think there's more two guard type defenders in the league and none of them are like super, super valuable unless you're like Tony Allen level of athletic and Kelvin Johnson can't even get in that same strategy of course so like the the problem is with Keldon Johnson like who do you take him or Kevin Porter or I was just gonna ask you that <laughs> like who do you take him or like I said like Romeo Langford also I'll, I'll say this the guy that has continued to just slowly but surely move up for me is Kobe White okay like I, I continue and this is coming off of a game against Virginia where he was garbage late he was awful he was terrible late. And I still just continue to be really, really impressed. Every time that I talk to a coach that has played North Carolina, they rave about Kobe White. Like they think he is ridiculously good. And part of it is that he's like a legit 6'5 now. They think like they believe he is just a lot bigger than what he used to get credit for. Um, like he, he looks big out on the floor and he's hyper quick and he knocks down 38% of his shots. Like he's someone that I look at and I think I'm probably going to have him in my top 15. It's not crazy. There's a lot of people that really like him. I'm a little bit more skeptical just for the, I don't think he's a really a point guard. I think he's more of like a scoring combo guard, but I really do buy the True. shot. I've always, I've always loved the shot and he's advanced as far as his pull up game. Like he can take these hop steps backward. He, he's got that step back ability. He's got a little bit yeah. of lower release, but, it, but it's really quick. So I'm not worried about his shot. And I think he, you're right. He is a little bit bigger than I expected, but on the right team, I can see it more like if he's going to go to Philadelphia for example oh, and be God, like a bigger please give, please give him to Philadelphia <laughs> <laughs> so that would be the case where I would move him up but I kind of have to see the situation like if he's going to Orlando and he's like the point guard I don't like him as much but if he's more of like a combo shooter or scorer type I really like that yeah yeah no I the more I watch Kobe White the more impressed I am um and again this is coming off of a game where he was just an abject disaster late um <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here Trying to go through these guys and who we haven't touched on. But really quick, Kevin Porter. I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've said that every time we've talked about him. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel the same way about Nasir Little. I, I like him. I like his mentality, but the dude doesn't know how to play basketball. And I'm just straight up. Like, he hasn't shown that at this level. And it's 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 frustrating because I do buy the character stuff with him so much. And he is a, he's a good athlete, very good athlete with great measurables. But, man, I just – those two guys – like kind of personify this draft a lot like they're they're talented in certain respects but i don't know if it equates to anything valuable in the nba so you know kevin porter drops 
you know, like 14 points a game in his first five games, right? Against Robert Morris, Vanderbilt, Setson, Texas Tech, Missouri State. So like not a murderer's row, but Texas Tech's in there. Vanderbilt's in there with Darius Garland and a couple other potential pros. And Missouri State's like not a total mess, at least. Um, And we all get really excited. Kevin Porter has played nine (laughs) games since then. He's averaging six points per 18 minutes and shooting 37% from the field. He should have sat the year out and I, I didn't want him to for our purposes because I want more of a sample size of course but he didn't do himself any justice coming back and some of this is I think USC and like how they utilize him but a lot of it's him man like again I watched that game I went to the Washington game here and there were a lot of concerning body language stuff with him and it just yeah I mean all he does is take step backs man like he rarely drives in the half court and it's just really frustrating to watch because you can see the talent his live dribble game he's the best in the classic creating separation He doesn't have the best handle but his dribble moves are like NBA caliber like very good it's it just he hasn't put it together I don't know what the fuck to do with him <laughs> uh, yeah I don't, know. I don't know so that's all I got man <laughs> last guy for me that I want to mention just because he's been impressing me every time I've watched him. I'm not entirely sure what to do with him yet, but Auburn's Chumo Okiki. We've mentioned him before. Yeah. I, really, I like him. I like him. I think his IQ is really good. I didn't watch the game the other night where he had just a monster stat line. I think he had like 25 or something. Uh, I'm not saying he's like a first rounder or anything, but I think he should be on the radar a little bit more. I just I think that he's really, really smart and his length, he used it really well. He had one really athletic closeout attack where he just dunked on somebody. So I just think he's a little underrated right now. Well, I think that doesn't ESPN have him like top 40 or something? Do they? Yeah, they have him pretty high. Um, I'm not. He's been much better lately. Like if you look at his last, uh, I want to say like nine games, he's averaging like 13 points and eight rebounds and, you know, a steal and a block a game and shooting 50% from the field and 37% from three. Like he's, he's doing a good job. I still am a little bit concerned about like, where is he positionally? Because he does have that bigger frame. Yep. He has a ton of length. I wonder if he is more of a position locked four than anything. That's fair. Honestly, I think that's abs- that's probably the best criticism of him is like he might be a position locked four. I don't know if he moves quite as well as I expected, even with losing some weight. I'm kind of curious on his frame upside, though, because he's definitely trimmed down right. from last year. I wonder if he can get a little bit more athletic. Yeah. Another guy, I mean, like Jordan Wara is similar to him, right? In terms of just yes. uh, like really trimming down. And I, I'm someone who, like, I'm at the point where I think if Jordan War returns and, like, really, really focuses in on defense and continues to just, like, you know, fix his body just a little bit more, I think he's going to be a 2020 first rounder. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's very believable to me, even though I've heard that's, like, a, a relatively deep class as far as not necessarily high-level talent, but just deep in general. But I, I like that. I, I think his shooting I came out – and like he had some struggles getting a shot off at times, but it's quick enough. I, I think I buy that there. And he's had some impressive closeout attacks. There's that. Um, the other guy I want to mention, I told do you watch any Paul Reed. I told you to watch Paul Reed. I haven't few, yet. like a week yeah, ago. He, he's on the list. Yeah, he's he's interesting. He's averaging like 15 points and 10 rebounds and like a block and a steal a game in the Big East this year. Uh, so what he's played like 12 games in Big East play or something like that. Uh, so it is like a bit of a prolonged run that he's been on um defensively they're real concerns yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't really know where to be but he still just like makes impact plays with his length he's interesting he's very very interesting to me 
Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely add him to the docket. I got a couple rapid fires here. We've talked about this guy in the past, Matisse Thibel. I think he's a legit first-round guy, and I know that might sound controversial, but I went back and was reading about him, and I see this on tape and flashes, but the UW zone, I think, kind of hides a lot of his lateral agility. And I was reading the ESPN's report about him at, I think, at Nike camp this summer, and they said that he was legit, like, locking guys up on the ball. Yeah. I just think he's underrated because of the zone. I think people are going to overlook him. And the shooting numbers and the production in every year is a little bit underrated as well. Like, he's not, like, this really bad free throw shooter. He's pretty good there. And he's good off the catch. I think his handling sequences... I think we probably talked about this on the podcast before, but like he's a better ball handler than he gets credit for, and the guy's legit fucking smart. Like he's got yeah. great feel on both sides of the ball, even offense. Like he makes some really impressive passes. He's just literally allergic to handling the ball. Like every time he gets it, it's like a hot potato. But I think there's really underrated ability there. Like for me, he's a no-brainer first rounder. Yeah, the more I watch him, the more I think he's probably going to end up at my year in my year end top thirty because he's a senior. So like he's definitely in the draft this year. Um, yeah. I think he will probably end up in my year end top 30. And like, despite the fact that he is having his worst shooting season from three this season, uh, it's his best true shooting percentage in his career. Cause he's actually learning how to play efficient basketball and learning how to make efficient decisions. Um, yeah, I think I'm at the point where he's going to be, he'll probably be like top 35 or so on my next board. Um, okay. and by the time like guys end up, you know, departing the draft class, I, I would imagine he'll probably be top 30. Yeah, that's definitely reasonable. I'm, I'm just, I, I really, what I'm seeing, I've watched more you dub this year than I've done in years past since Fultz. So I'm, I'm in on him. A guy I'm kind one, of I, I will just bring up one Go thing ahead. on Thibel though, before we move on Uh turnover rate over 20 every season of his career. Interesting. Yeah, that, that doesn't shock me in the games that I've seen. I think he had like a five turnover game. He gets a little wild on some of his drives. And yeah, so that, that's definitely something to monitor for sure. Eric Holman is a guy we've talked about in the past. I've been really disappointed with him recently. Um, I, I know he's coming off fan. the bench. Yeah, I mean, he's just had some really half-assed plays defensively. Like, he's not even recovering hard, not rotating hard. It just kind of seems like he doesn't give a shit. I can't remember what this game was. It might have been one of the Kentucky games that I watched, but... I'm dropping him considerably. I get the allure, the shooting intersection, which I, I buy the shot and I buy the rim protection and like the the pop he has around the rim. Yeah. But Weak he's side a, rim he, protection, yeah, 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 exactly. So like a four kind of stretch four, I think it was what you would call him popular nomenclature and something to that effect. But his yeah. effort level is like I, I've dropped him considerably. Yeah, no, I think that that's very very reasonable. Um, trying to think, is there anyone else like random that I've been a fan of that I've sent you recently? Hmm. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I'm I'm skimming this list on Tankathon. Have you watched we've talked about him in the past, but have you watched Jalen McDaniels recently? I have. He's very good. He's like actually figuring out uh how to make things work in terms of his game. Uh they out they like have him operate a lot in the mid range right now. Um yep. he's very, very comfortable in the mid range. I hope that he can extend that out out to the three point line. He's been incredibly productive. Uh he's I think you can make the case that he's probably been the most productive player in the Mountain West this season so far. Um, you know, like maybe you, like Jordan Caroline's up there, Sam Merrill at Utah State's up there, uh, Braxton Huggins, I think you could probably put up there. Uh, yeah, there's just some guys, there's some dudes that are really, really good, and I think he's been as productive as any of them. Yeah, I, I was. I think I watched the Colorado State game. It was the other night that was televised, yeah. and he was impressive. He he had some nice passes. He he has a really high motor. I watched him and Eric Coleman back to back, and that was a pretty gaping difference in effort level. Motor, so I, yeah. I like the, oh yeah, yeah. 
Exactly right. So I, I like a lot of him. I'm not sure exactly what he is yet, but if he goes late first round, I honestly don't have a problem with that. Um, I would probably have him like top 40-ish. So that's like the general range. I, I, there's, some, there's more allure. I kind of buy the shot a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to watch more. I do think he is position locked at the four, but he's a four that I think can like step out and defend. Exactly. And he's, he's really skinny, though. That's the thing is like he gets bodied pretty easily. And I think that's yeah. probably what you're getting to with the four only. And he's probably not dynamic enough to play the, the three. Right. So, yeah, I think that he'll probably he'll be in my top 30, I would say. OK, uh, there is like the court case out there that's hanging over him uh, up oh, in Washington, about that. which exists and is kind of gross if it's true. Uh most NBA folks that I've talked to so far are just monitoring it. They don't really have a gauge on it either way. And thus I don't have a gauge on it either way, but it is just, it exists and is worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. I totally forgot about that. Um, actual last note for me this time. And then I'm good. Uh, Jarrett Culver made two threes the other night, which is a miracle. modern miracle in, in, in conference play because good God, man, I've never seen like a drought like this. And of course we've talked about the mechanics. They aren't ideal in the past, but he was shooting pretty well early in the season. It just completely dropped off a cliff yeah so he's seven of 44 from three in conference right now um two of five uh against oklahoma state one of three against oklahoma and west virginia i think it's bouncing back a little bit it's starting to revert oh we're back (laughs) um then he went oh of six oh of six against kansas and tcu then four of five against arkansas so like i don't know man (laughs) it's i think he can shoot i'm not worried about it yeah I'm not worried either. I think I've seen enough from him, enough diversity, some pull-ups and stuff like that. So I'm not like freaking out. But man, I, I wanted to buy 100% on him. And I'm kind of like, I'm almost there. And it, just the shooting maybe dropped me a little bit here. See, like to me, he's a guy, he's always been a guy that I would feel in a normal draft a lot more comfortable taking in the 10 to 20 range. Yes. In this draft, it's just like, whoa, who the fuck do you take? <laughs> you trade back. You trade back. Trade the damn pick. Uh, that's that's all I have for advice on this class is take Zion one. If you can't take Zion one, trade up to try to get Zion one. If like the Bulls get one, that's I think what teams should be hoping for. If they don't get it, the Bulls do because I could see them moving it. And if not, you, you trade back and you try to get multiple picks because I think the value area in this class is like the ten to thirty range. Like that's where you're gonna get. Like the the guys that could be as good as the guys from two to nine. If you're getting more assets in return, I think that's the play. Okay, if you're Dallas <laughs> and you get number one overall, and you're the Bulls, do you tra- and you get like number four overall, number three overall, let's say, are you willing to trade Wendell Carter and number three for number one? If I'm if I'm what team? If you're both teams, because like we know that Dallas really likes Wendell Carter. We know that. Um, Chicago just has a front court clut still like <laughs> yeah if I'm Dallas I, I, if, I get, if I get one this year I'm not moving it pretty much regardless 100% so unless unless, unless I'm yeah. New York and I can get Anthony Davis that's the only exactly way right. that I think I make the case that was the caveat for me is like if you can put that kind of super team together maybe you consider it if you're sure that you're going to get these players that's the only case for me I'm more curious of like the Bulls get one and they're like okay we have Lowry in the front court we have Wendell do we trade back a few spots and get John Morant who they really like and you can see the Bulls talking themselves into this because they have Levine at the three now Otto Porter at the four at the or sorry, Levine at the two, Otto Porter at the three. So if you're a team like, let's say you were the Suns and you get three, like I would try to move up to one. Would you trade DeAndre Ayton and three for number one? <laughs> oh, that's incredible, dude. Um, <laughs> wow. I would not. 
because I'm higher on DeAndre than you are. But for you, I felt like that was a real question. No, it is a real question. It's very interesting. I think there's a larger scale deal to be worked out there. I would yeah. trade Aiton in three for one, but I think it would be that wouldn't be the only pieces in the trade. But I'm right. pretty much at the point where like I'm getting unless I'm trading, I'm not, I'm not trading Luca for one, but unless it's like a really high level prospect like that, I'm I'm get, I'm trying to get one to come full circle. Would you trade Devin Booker for number one? I would. Okay, there we go. Uh, Cole, tell the people where they can find that great article on DeAndre Hunter. Tell the people what's going on. <laughs> At thestepian.com, uh, as usual, you can check that out. I'm going to try to get rankings updated in the next week, have some time over All-Star break. Look at that. you. Trying. Um, so for the site, because <laughs> people keep asking. And, and like I'm, I'm trying to push it off just because I don't know what the hell to do with this class. So like now I have to tell everybody else that. Um, so yeah, you can check out the DeAndre Hunter article there. Uh, it's a 40-minute read, so if you want to read it and just a lot of caffeine if you're insane and as usual we'll continue to listen to this podcast go to the athletic i probably have a project dropping next week uh that'll be a bunch of articles so go there uh read that and uh rate review and subscribe to this podcast go subscribe to the athletic we're gonna have a lot of really great content coming out of all-star weekend from a lot of really great writers um shout out bet online clns 50 promo code shout out hymns game theory promo code That'll be it. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.